Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of So How'd You Get Here? I'm Angelo, this is Tony, and today we have uh, two very special guests. Uh, and before I introduce them, we're going to start with a trivia question. That's always fun. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so what does the Passion of the Christ, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and White Chicks have in common? They all made over $100 million. That is probably true, okay. but ding, ding, also... Ding. Um, there were um, there were a couple people that have helped work on these movies with um, some special effects, and um, they're sitting here right now. I'd like to introduce my good friend Todd Tucker, and um, my new good friend Martin Astles. <laughs> Hi, we, Hello, we guys. haven't known each other as oh, long, right? Yeah. No. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for, for being on us. our show, guys. Absolutely. Nice to be here. Appreciate you being here today. Um, we uh, we are going to talk about some makeup, special effects, hear about resume, company, what you work on, what you do. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I'm going to kind of just let you guys. Whole, whole gamut. Whole gamut. Yeah. yeah. Tony, you want to start off with maybe a uh, little uh, teaser question? Well, I mean, we're here at Illusion Industries. I mean, we're kind of paper crane studios is kind of in the back, the back corner here of Illusion Industries. So Todd is essentially Illusion Industries. How did that get started? Um, well, I opened Illusion Industries with my business partner, Ron Halvis, about 10 years ago, I think it is. Um, my background and also Martin's, we both have been special effects makeup artists um, for years I now. was a dancer before that. <laughs> and a very good one. Yeah. Wow. What yeah. kind of dance? <clears throat> just, you know, just a table dancer. Nothing uh, fancy. Only fans before, yeah. only fans. Yeah. Got it. We, <laughs> we pulled him out of the strip bar. That's right. You no, saw I, his talent. You I, saw I, his talent. I thought, so you saw how well he did makeup on the dancers, and you're like, I got to hire that guy. <laughs> no, no, he was the dancer. That's the thing. He used to come to my bar. I, used to, I followed him home. I've given him so many ones, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. This is oh going to be a fun man. interview. This is not the way this I thought it was going to go. You know what? Nope, it's already recorded. Wow. I can't stop. Okay, okay. The train has left the station. I will pick it up from there. Okay, so let me go back to when I met Martin Astles. Uh, we're trying to figure out how long it was ago, but Martin and I both worked for the same special effects makeup company. We were both uh, creatives, sculptors, designers, makeup effects artists. And uh, a lot of times we would head up our own shows and uh, we became good friends. And then when I opened up Illusion Industries about 10 years ago, uh, Martin came on as our key artist and designer and sculptor. And uh, it's great because <clears throat> between Martin and myself, um, we can do everything from start to finish for the project and then go facilitate it on set as makeup artists or puppeteers or whatever needs to happen. So we can take multiple projects mm. and Martin can go one direction, I can go the other, and we can just uh, make a lot of great stuff happen. Now, were you guys, did, were you art school kids? Like, were you always <clears throat> into this? Or is it kind of like you fell into it or you came out here to be one thing and then you're like, oh, I'm really talented at this? Yeah, I, I mean, I was an art school kid. I mean, I think my story was a little different to most people's because uh, I was never hugely into film okay. as a kid, you yeah. know? Interesting. Uh, I was always more into sort of art. <laughs> yeah. So I went to art school, but I got kicked out pretty pretty quick. Uh, Can I ask for what? Yeah, of course. Uh, for table dancing? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. For, I just, Lots of ones. So, yeah. <laughs> I went to a really snobby art school, and basically they, they, uh, they f I was too opinionated, and I got into a couple of... Uh, let's just say heated discussions with lecturers and tutors there. Were you like the Mona Lisa shit? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you were there. Yeah. Uh, We've heard this story before. <laughs> yeah. So it just wasn't a good fit. And I think, you know, because of the type of things I was into, like, you know, I was into esoteric, you know, uh, subject matter and, you know, I was into film too, but um, I just don't think, 
the art school really liked the things that I was doing. You know, I was always doing art that was on the darker side, you know, and they were way more traditional. So uh, I did about a year and a half on a degree course and then they, they booted me out. Um, yeah, it was pretty unceremonious too. I just got a letter. I just got a letter sent to me saying that uh, I was. Uh, being We're going a different direction. Yeah, right, right, pretty right. much. Or um, you are. And then a week later, I ended up working uh, in the film business. You know, I mean, all during that time at art school, I'd been writing letters, you know, to uh, production companies and uh, studios, trying to look for an internship or some kind of of work. Um, and ironically, yeah, about about a week after I got kicked out, I got a I got an internship at a company, and the rest and, is kind and of they probably asked you. Not how how much weight did they give on any school degree in terms of needing to hire you, or was it based on what hey, your, your, your talent? Yeah, your talent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they didn't ask for your degree or where you went to school. They don't care. I mean, they the business care. has changed a lot for that, but yeah, film and I mean, the film industry doesn't really care about the the educational background as much as no. just the what you can do today. Yeah, right, right. what can you do right now? Yeah, right. right. So, I mean, for me, I don't know about for yourself, but for me, it was always like the, I had like the college portfolio and then the portfolio of work that really was relevant to uh, creature effects and makeup and stuff. So, but thank thank goodness I'd had two different portfolios because if I, you know, had my just my traditional college one, I would never have gotten hired in the business. So, um, it was kind of important that I went a bit renegade and rogue, you know. Um, you went to art school too, though, right? Didn't you? I didn't go to art college. I did. I did uh, classes all through uh, high school, and I took private art classes all the time. So I had a lot of education. But then, uh, right out of high school, um, I was all about film, also too. I ended up hooking up with a couple guys in Northern California who I lived next to. Was that Matt? Matt Rose, Matt Rose. And Steve Wayne. Rest in peace, Matt. Yeah. I would not know you if it wasn't for it's Matt. True. So it's true. I'm gonna throw a little bit of yeah. love at him. Lots of love for Matt. Uh, Matt and Steve literally took me under their wing and taught me how to sculpt and paint and do all the stuff that I wanted to learn. And then they moved down here to Los Angeles and started working. I built up my portfolio while I, while I was being a musician up in Northern California, and then um, finally moved down here in 1990. And my first job was working with Steve and Matt on something called the Giver. Um, and Steve was directing it at that point, so it was really the cool. Giver, the not MacGyver, the Giver, not the guy that because I watched MacGyver. No, no, not yeah. the guy that builds everything out of anything. <laughs> Got it. No, the Giver. No, yeah, it's a uh, it's a <laughs> a fantasy film. Uh, and then after that, I just started working in the industry and was lucky enough to just uh, get into the right companies at the right time. When did you guys link up? Was it on a specific project, or you just knew well, each other through you know, like you know what's interesting? Art is community. I met Martin in my garage. That sounded really dodgy. Okay, yeah, that sounded yeah, dodgy. That's, that's but, right? I did meet you. Could in your you garage. qualify right. that? Because uh... <laughs> because we were, I I had a, a little studio set up in my garage. I would work out of, and uh, I was working on a project with Steve Wang at the time, right? It was uh, was it, it Steve? It was Tooth Fairy, right? Yes, yes. And then uh, I think Steve was interviewing Martin uh, to come on as an artist, and we met him at my garage for some reason. I don't remember why. But we did, and then uh, Martin and I just really hit it off, and then we ended up working uh, for the same company for many years, and then when I broke off and opened my own company, um, Martin was cool to come along, and we've been together as a team now for about 20 years now, is that right? Yeah, about that, about 20 years. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's been a while. So Martin, you have, you still like him? <laughs> I mean, are you just here for the paycheck? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, and yes. Yes and yes. Well, you can tell us what you really think when yeah. we turn the we, cameras uh, off. Like, we've, we've, you know, over the years, we've gotten into creative differences and stuff. But it's, you know, 
I mean, we're like an old married couple at this point, right? You know, I mean, he knows my ways, I know his. I right. mean, I'll be lost without him. You know, here's the, here's the thing too about Martin is I work really, really well bouncing off of somebody else artistically, whether whatever it is. And it's hard sometimes to find somebody that you really click with. And the funny thing about Martin and I is, is we're very, we have very different um, styles of, of what we do sculpturally and artistically, but we like a lot of the same stuff. But the fact that we both have kind of different styles, it complements the company because we can do everything from something cute and foofy to something crazy and amazing like you've never seen. So, I mean, we have a lot of range because we both can cover a lot of different aspects. I won't do cute. And I know you won't. I know. No I know you won't. I know you I, won't. Oh, well, from the year I've been here watching you two, you know, work from a distance, I actually would say that that actually strengthens you. When you get everybody that's all agrees on one thing, that actually, yeah, actually that usually never works. Yeah. That's true. You actually have to have some tension and disagreement to actually, I guess, tap that full creative potential yeah that's we've, true. we've never had a blowout or anything like of that it's no, no, no. Been, it's, but you know what? I, I gotta be honest with you the times that we've had disagreements and this is uh, i'm gonna throw this one to martin right now uh years ago i wrote and directed a my first film called monster mutt but i learned a very valuable lesson because i was directing and i had my mind in directing and i got all these great designs that martin and another guy had done and i couldn't see through my own head how great these designs were and i got confused and ended up doing it sculpting it myself at the last minute and unfortunately i feel now that years have gone by and i look back at those sculptures man there were some great designs there i should have known that so i've come to the conclusion anytime we do an in-house project that i have martin just design it and i step back and let him do his thing because yeah that'll teach you it, it did teach <laughs> me and then we did another movie and that's exactly what we did for the terror of Hallows eve i got out of the way martin did his thing and the designs just kick ass now um, give a, can, can we get just a little, uh, cliff note or, um, uh, you know, a couple sentences of illusion industries, you launched this company, but it's more than a name. Like obviously there's a vision and a mission behind it, where you want to go, what you're doing currently, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So illusion industries, we started the, uh, the company about 10 years ago. We specialize in special effects, makeup and characters, old age, character, makeup, creature makeups. Uh, we do puppets, we do props and specialty costume, but the makeup is our main our main focus. Bar mitzvahs. And just Bar so mitzvahs, we can name drop, yeah. will you give us just a couple movies you've touched that we've heard on, I've heard of, even Shoot. if it wasn't all you worked on them? Yeah, uh, Illusion Industries did uh, the Smurf movies. We did a movie called The Iceman. We did G.I. Joe Retaliation. Geostorm. Geostorm, Jack Reacher 2, Ouija, and most recently, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I'm excited about that one because I walked in to like the studio area and you have this awesome like setup of like what it's going to look like. So cool. Yeah, we don't have the we don't have the, the Leatherface character out because clearly we right. can't have it out because yeah, we can't show until that. the movie comes right. out. We can't show the character. No, they they finished. You, you didn't mention the Greasy Strangler. Oh, and we did the Greasy Strangler. <laughs> well, well, no, I didn't mention it. <laughs> On purpose, I think? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, we did. <laughs> was, that, um, was that, by the way, was that your table dancing name? Yeah. Well, oh, 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 so you were there too, oh, were you? Man. The Greasy Strangler? I remember you, you guys now. know each other, don't yeah. you? This is bullshit. You should bring this up beforehand. <laughs> well, I'm not used to seeing him without the mask yeah. on. Um, <laughs> so, or the wig. So, check oh, God. All right, guys. We, <laughs> we got off track. Yeah. Um, question. Um, um, so wow. Texas Chainsaw is done filming or it's in, Bul- is it Bulgaria? Wait, where are they filming it? Texas. No. <laughs> now, come on. Well, actually, uh, this is a very cool story that I'm very proud of. And and 
we got the project uh, like I think three or four weeks before COVID shut down. Yeah. And we went and we did a couple meetings and, and Martin and I met with um, the directors at the time. And uh, then all of a sudden, and I'm like, oh my God, we got Leatherface. This is amazing. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and I went, oh my God, what's going to happen? Yeah. And they came back to us and they're like, hey, if you guys are good to keep going, we're going to keep going. And we're like, hell yes, we are. So we did all the designing remotely. And then uh, and it was, the designing was a combination of Martin doing sculptures. We had a guy named Miles Tevis who did some designs and also a guy named John Donahue. Um, we finally got the final look. Everyone was loving it. And then we brought in the team and we built everything here at the studio, completely COVID safe. No one got sick. It was great. And then uh, it filmed in Bulgaria. Um, they they only wanted to bring one person. And so at this point, <clears throat> it made a lot of sense for Martin to go. He knows that brand and he, you know, sculpted the face. He was ready to rock it out. He went over there. They shot it um, and came back and it's in post right now. So right. And it's going to be Because I, I awesome. would come in here before they shipped and you had 30 masks yeah. up. And it, you walk in here in the dark and it's the most <laughs> terrifying thing. Like all the lights go on immediately. It's a cool, it's a cool design. Yeah. Since this is the latest one you've done, talk, tell the listeners a little bit how, how does that start? So you guys get a call from the producers and say, hey, like, this is the vision we have. We think you guys would be a good fit. Or do you send them like your past work or they just know you? So yeah, it's different every time. I mean, I no two jobs are the same. I mean, sometimes, you know, they'll come to you with a very specific, you know, idea on what a character will be or a creature or whatever. And they might know your reputation. I mean, other times, you know, you'll just get like a cold call, basically. I mean, in this particular situation, the producer knew Todd really well and we'd worked with him before and we had a good relationship with him. So uh, he, he trusted Todd and he trusted the company to, to come through. Um, but for this, this particular film, uh, obviously I can't say too much. Okay. Uh, yes, of course. You know, I can, I can tell you there are chainsaws in it. <laughs> and and, and it may be shot in Texas, or it may not be. I can tell you that. Be. I can tell you that much. Um, but the character, the character is uh, for fans. It might be a slight departure, maybe not. I don't know. But the there is a slight directional change with the look of the character. So we worked with the directors at the time very closely yeah. to come up with a new look, um, and that's including the costume and the wardrobe too. It's the whole the whole character, you know. Um, so we spent months, really. Uh, there was an initial... The directors were in Los Angeles uh, for three, two weeks? Three, yeah. I think two or three, three weeks. weeks. And then we worked uh, directly at the production company, taking designs to them when they were here. And then after that, when they... Because they were from Ireland, they'd, they'd flown back to, to their home. And uh, we kept working with... Uh, well, actually, we were just doing Zoom calls. As I yeah, it was all Zoom. Zoom, yeah. Zoom. Yeah. That's right. Oh, that was a nightmare. It's hard. You know, it's, it is like doing Zoom is great. If it's just a meeting. But when you're trying to do like design work or conceptual stuff. Right. And, you know. Look what it, I just made. Well, that's kind of what it is. You're just holding it up, you know. Yeah. Just <laughs> hoping, um, little left. Yeah, little yeah, left. Yeah. But it kept crashing all the time because at that point, like the entire world was getting onto Zoom. Right. So I, actually they ended up throttling Zoom to 20 minute calls. Yeah. Actually towards the end. It, the whole thing was a bit of a pain <clears> in the <throat> bum, if I'm to be honest. Right. But um, we got through it. Um, but that was kind of a, that was a very strange, uh, very strange process that, to I, be honest. I actually think the fans 
are going to really dig the new design because they better. And, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you it's why. For illusion industry's sake. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, I'm going to pay him a visit. Because <laughs> yeah. if you don't, I'm sending Martin to your path. Yeah, that's right. Um, it it it's still absolutely undeniably Leatherface. You're not oh, yeah. going to. Okay. There's no. I've seen it with my eyes. It's not it that far of a departure. Um, I just feel like it feels current, um, and it doesn't feel over the top. Right. It feels very organic, and I think it kind of lends to it being um, just a very, very cool version of what you remember. Um, so it's not. I don't think fans are going to have a problem with this. Um, I think it's personally. I think it's the best look he's had yet. We'll ban it. But I also am the president of the company. I have to say that you also let us be here, so uh, (laughs) I'm going to agree with you. Agree right over there. Uh, Yes, you too. Axe, one hundred percent. Good job, gentlemen. Thank you. I will will say though that the uh, again without I can't. No, I can't say. Okay. I can't say. I want to say so much. Such a tease. So he does when he dances too. Teases you. Since we can't talk about that project, what's another one? Because you've worked for others, but you have a couple yourself you're working on in house, and then as well as several that you you're hired and you basically do the special effects for somebody else. We can talk about the manor, right? Yeah, actually. Um, yeah. So we did a film last year. Uh, we were brought on by a very, very talented and uh, great woman named Sandy King Carpenter. Mm-hmm. As in John Carpenter? Absolutely. Um, trouble in little China? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> she uh, has been working with John. She got, she's married to John clearly, but I mean, she's been working with him and has produced a lot of his films. Oh, man, yeah. Um, she came to us. We were, we're friends, and she came to us and said, hey, I'm working on this project for Blumhouse and Amazon, yeah? That's right, yep. And then uh, we need this really, really cool character, and uh, she went to bat for us right off the bat. She went in there and said, by the way, Illusion and the guys at Illusion are doing this film, <laughs> whether you like it or <laughs> yeah, not, I perfect. guess. So that's the kind of person you want on your side, you know? Absolutely. And uh, we went in, and, and uh, it was a really cool piece uh, the guys, we did this amazing design. The guys created this creature character that is very unique. I haven't quite seen anything quite like it. And we did some really cool uh, makeups for one of the uh, the villain characters for his demise. And We had some pretty old school uh, effects in that too. Yeah. I, I can't say what because the film isn't coming out until October, I don't think. Right. But there's some, there's some real tr- traditional effects. And uh, um, the director, she didn't want... Um, you know, there's been a big swing back to like traditional and practical effects, which right? I love. Yeah, we do too. Practical is hip, and I actually yeah, mean yeah. that. I'm not saying that to suck up to you. Yeah. I like, <laughs> I like. I mean, I grew up watching Sandy Carpenter's film stuff, yeah, yeah. John Carpenter and James Cameron and Stan Winston, and like right, I right. like. I don't mind some VFX and CG, but man, that old, the the original way it was done, I still. I still fancy that. Well, let, let's thank bad CG movies for that. Because if there hadn't been a bunch of really, really shitty CG movies over the last thank 10 years, we might not movies. come back into fashion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But like, you've almost got to like, thank bad CG for the renaissance that we're going through. At least that's my humble opinion. It's kind of, I mean, I, I don't want to mention films in particular because I might now I might never work again. But like, <laughs> for the most part, it feels like every other film has just got dodgy CG in it. And the fan base knows, right? I mean, you know, People aren't stupid. I mean, they can spot bad CG. A lot of people know when they're being um, palmed off with second-rate effect sequences right, or, or right. crappy creatures. Or And there's a genericism that's kind of creeped in a lot too with design in general, uh, which I could do a whole separate podcast about. But, <laughs> which we will gladly but, have but, you but, on for. Yeah, the genericism of the, of the current film industry. But, but you know, I think... And also, like, I mean, people like J.J. Abr- um, 
yeah, JJ. Uh, I've forgotten his name. JJ Abrams. Yeah, that's the, that's the guy. Yeah, the, Star the, Trek. The big, the yeah, big yeah. director. A little guy named. That I, I'll never work with again now because I've forgotten his name. But <laughs> no, I'll cut that. But part he, out. you know, he he was very, <laughs> he was very, um, you know, proactive in seeking out practical effects for a lot of his projects. Mm -hmm. Right, you know, so particularly with Star Wars, and I think that was really. A bit of a turning point. That was I mean, absolutely. I mean, it felt like you know he'd gone to bat for for the community, and uh, I know in the UK a lot of people were. I mean, they were struggling to find people. There were so many people you know involved in those films that it was tough to get those those projects crewed up. Some of the model makers too, like a lot of these art forms that had been sort of forgotten, have sort of had this second this second wave now. That's yeah, amazing. Can, can popularity. I, I? I would love if possible. Like, I know your range covers a lot, but yeah. there's got to be one or two elements sculpting and something else that are like you, what's your favorite for the whole dynamic of special effects what's your what's your sweet spot both of you i'll let you go that oh um well i know it's hard to name it to one but give me a couple um i mean i i really enjoy you know the application process i've got to work on a lot of great people and had great experiences i enjoyed working on uh, smurfs with hank azaria because he's such a cool dude and it was Gargamel. I mean, everyone, yeah. everyone knows that character, so it was really fun to to make him up every day. Um, um, I actually, I actually had a lot of fun on on when we did Ouija, um, because we were working with Doug Jones, who's a friend of ours, and we worked with a lot of times, mm -hmm. and we put Doug in makeups, and uh, we came up with a great way of creating these full bodied suits that you can do very quickly and get people in very quickly. So. We developed some cool new techniques that we were able to use on that. And uh, working with the actress, uh, the little girl, she was great. And mm. She was really easy to work with, and I had to do a lot yeah. on her. So um, that was a cool experience. I, I, I enjoyed doing the makeup aspects and then uh, also designing and sculpting. I like it all. I like actually doing the whole process from start to finish. Um, well, the first time I met you was you, we did a face cast, and I was like, this guy's awesome. Uh, and that was with Matt. That was Rose. with Matt. Yeah, so yeah. that yeah, was yeah. my first introduction to you. That's right. Now I've no, walked Martin, past your yeah. door once or twice, just as you're coming out. The hell and, hell. I, and I've seen the sculpture that's inside that looked amazing for like a half a second. And then you shut the door quickly so that no one could see it. Yeah. I'm like a filthy hermit. Yeah. I asked <laughs> like, no, but no. The three seconds I saw it was awesome. So obviously you're an incredible sculptor, but give me, give me a, your second and third favorite. Ha hands down. Like my favorite pr part of the process is design it doesn't matter like it i mean i agree with todd like it's all important and it's all you know uh, relevant but it's the it's the genesis it's the creation point it's the you know the bit where you have a pencil or a, you know a, a z brush you like to break that or, ground first like the first ideas the first yeah concepts, that's the first yes yeah, and it's actually the meetings when like the clients come in and all the directors you know and we get to sit there and sort of brainstorm that's the most important part for me. That's the part I enjoy the most. So it's it's that right. initial communication. That's a real uh, rush for me to to sort of get into the mind of that individual. I mean, it's not always easy, right? I mean, at times it, it can be pretty painful. It's like giving birth. Hmm. I mean, most most projects, especially when you're designing, it's, it's kind of like a breech birth. I mean, <laughs> you know, the baby comes out sideways, you know. Thank you it, for that visual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very well, good. That's what you'd expect, right? <laughs> but... but <laughs> but it's, it's difficult because like, uh, you know, often I think, especially with directors, like they, they know what it is. I, and I'll tell you, the worst thing I'll ever hear is I, I won't know what it is until I see it. Yep. That will, that will, I want to put my face in a meat slicer when I hear that. That means you're doing 20 to 30 designs. Yeah. 
And, and you'll still never get it. <laughs> never. It, you'll never get it. And he'll go back to the first one. Is that because That's of true. a lack of ability to communicate usually on that person's part or because they don't know? Well, or, is, or is it because both, they think that they're, that they think that they're really artistic and like they know what's going like this is my vision now you go make that happen that is definitely not the case but it is (laughs) (laughs) that is definitely that's very that's very true sometimes too if they don't know what they want even if you put it in front of them sometimes you have to go through the whole process of showing other things to make sure that it is what they want the first thing you showed them and usually you'll go through a bunch of designs and come back to that first thing that's correct yeah mainly because we 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 kind of know instinctually once we talk to the director we know how to lock in on that vision and then hopefully present them with the best version of what they want. And, okay. and, and even, you know, sometimes they, they'll give you a direction of what they think they want, but it's so similar to everything else you've seen that we always try to come up with a, an, an original right. spin in the design. So it's just not another cookie cutter thing. Right. I mean, there's one project that I've been working on here for, uh, for the guys who did district nine mm-hmm. and, uh, that was five years to get to the design that they're finally going to use. For the alien that was in it? Yeah. Okay. It's so, a pre-production process that's been going. Yeah, it's still development. It, it, it's in development right now, but yeah. I mean, that took five years and literally wow. hundreds yeah. of designs. Back yeah, yeah. So the long-term de- development time isn't the norm usually. Usually what will happen in, in a very quick turnaround is we'll, we'll get a script, We'll do a breakdown on the script. We'll identify what is the makeup effects that we would be bidding on. We'll sit down with the director and the producer and try to figure out exactly what they want to see. Then we'll go back and put together a budget based on the approaches that we would take to build everything. And then at that point, uh, we'll put designs in front of them, whether they're sculptures or 2D designs or whatever, have them sign off on it. And then we start sculpting that design. After it's sculpted, it becomes molded. Uh, we then run it in whatever materials it needs to be ran in, and then we will go on set and facilitate it if it's a makeup, if it's a puppet, whatever it ends up being. Um, so we basically go through that system every time we do a film because we facilitate it from start to finish right? until the movie's been shot. So um, we're that, a one-stop shop in that respect. What happens when you're actually on set and they were like, no, we need we need to change that, or we don't we don't like that? Like I know you've, we've had this conversation about Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson, he wants you to make something, you made like a thousand things, and he comes in, he's like, no, like that over there. And then it was like a, the smallest little... Um, one thing that was interesting was we did the first Smurf movie with Hank Azaria, and then when we went to do the second one, we pulled out the same molds and ran the same nose, and once we went and started filming, Hank had, not, had lost enough weight that the old nose didn't look right on him now at all. So we had to quickly, quickly, Martin was resculpting the nose here while I was in Canada on set and the ears shipping them oh and the ears too yeah everything that's right because everything looked way too big once he had lost that weight yeah so and we were at the beginning of shooting we he had didn't lose shot. the weight for the role no 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 and it's yeah and it wasn't really that recognizable but we hadn't seen him because we'd already done the cast for the very first film now we're on the second film we saw pictures of him and he didn't look that different but once the makeup was on him it changed so that was an, a good example of all of a sudden being there already shooting and having to make an adjustment on the spot. Right. Luckily that wasn't a, you know, it was a nose and ear. So it wasn't anything so difficult. It couldn't be dealt with, but to be fair though, it's a good question. Cause like changes are a weird thing. Like I think a lot of projects, like they think that you can do anything. Right. So, I mean, you know, if you've got like a fixed makeup, like a pre-sculpted makeup, 
And suddenly they're like, well, we know, can you do it with more angry eyebrows or make it happier looking? Or it's like, you go through this process of explaining like why you can't do that. Like it, it, it's not, sometimes I expect you to work miracles, I think a little bit, you know, and uh, it, it can get frustrating. Like it's very difficult. There are certain changes you can make like color changes or like if you've got to readjust the wig or, you know, but when they start asking you to make like, uh, f like actual physical, like three-dimensional changes, you can't do it. It's so, a sculpture, so it's hard to adjust. You can't really change the sculpture once it's been molded and not, fabricated. Not, at right. all. not without a ton of time and the ability to prep all that. That's exactly you right. You have to literally go yeah. back to the foundation of rebuilding. But yeah, which you can't you can't do. But then you've got to go back to the producer or director and tell them no in a really nice way. And that doesn't always go over too well. And I think every studio in town has been in that position where they've been asked to make these ridiculous changes on the fly. And it's like, you just, you just can't do it, you know? And you have yeah. to say to them, look, guys, you had like, you know, 18 years to figure this out. <laughs> So now, you know, you're looking at it and you don't like it. I mean, it, it's, it's not, part of being a professional is not necessarily getting it right. It's learning how to fix things, you know? So there's time and times, I can think of thousands of occasions actually where, you know, I, I, I feel that uh, the test of metal for you is to make sure that you know how to fix something. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not you, can, you can spend years and years and years like designing something and doing the best paint job and the best of everything, but... If suddenly they want that last minute change and you don't know how to do it, you're in trouble. But we've know? we've talked about this. I mean, it's hard yeah. because when we hire people to help us on set, yeah, it you you know the difference of somebody that all of a sudden when the shit hits the fan and you got to make adjustments, you can't panic. That's right. You can't show any emotion. Oh, yeah. You just have to deal with it and figure out what can be done, and then yep. do the best you can. There's not a lot of people that can go through that smoothly so no. even when we go on set we have to take certain people who we know can deal with that pressure and make the changes right. well that's to me what separates whether it's medicine or sports or movies yep. like oh yeah oh you yeah. have all the time with no pressure to to get it perfect okay great yeah but can you do it when it counts yeah exactly. no time yeah. and deadlines yeah. yeah yeah that's very true that matters to me yeah yeah now i don't know if martin's done this but i know todd has have there been times when you had to jump in and play the role yourself um, like, um, the actor's not... I, I've got a story. Yeah, go that's, ahead. That's why we're here. Uh, it was for a, a commercial in the UK, a long time ago now. Uh, and it was for, a, if I recall, it was for, I think it was for a Sony flat screen TV. And really? We, yeah, and it was, uh, the commercial was a spoof of Aliens, right? <laughs> okay. So uh, we, <laughs> I don't remember the exact commercial, but it was, there was this alien running down a corridor, right? I don't know how that tied in with the flat screen TV, but, <laughs> but, but, but basically uh, they got this, um, this is before like creature suit performers were actually, I mean, this, I think this commercial was in mid nineties, 94, 95. Okay. But I mean, creature suit performers, like they're, they're their own sort of ecosystem now, right? I mean, these guys are professionals, like they, they know how to wear a suit and stuff. But I think sort of there was a period of time there where you just sort of hired a stunt man or somebody in the in the studio would, would actually play the creature or character. But in this particular instance, they got a guy, some, I don't know who he was, they got cast some guy. He'd never worn a suit before. And uh, it was the first day of the shoot. And we're gluing him in this thing. And it, we didn't build it on him. It was like a sort of a, the suit, we built the suit rogue, you know? So it, we had to sort of adjust it and make all the adjustments on the day. And I could tell he was just not digging this process at all. You know, he was just kind of, fidgety and he kept he was he just he just was off and i'm sure todd's got stories too like you can tell when people aren't digging this process but that's a whole nother separate 
Just because of, yeah. the claustrophobics or they don't like it on things on their face? All of that. Oh, yep. okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, <laughs> or, okay. But I could tell this guy was just not enjoying the process. And I thought, well, maybe he'll be, you know, he'll be fine. And we'd started at like three in the morning, you know, to, to get this suit on him. And he asked to go to the restroom. And I think we we're about like two hours into the process, as I remember. <laughs> so he goes off to the restroom. And the only things we hadn't put on him, I think, were the hands and the head. So he goes to the restroom and uh, maybe five or 10 minutes have gone by and, you know, we're sort of looking at our watches going, you know, come on, come on, we got we got to go, we got to go. Because it was a two-day shoot. It was a quick turnaround thing. And <laughs> maybe 20 minutes have gone by and we're getting a bit like kind of wigged out by this. So we ended up uh, knocking on the door and saying, hey, man, are you ready? Come out, come out. No answer. So we... we then we thought maybe he's collapsed. Maybe he's got a medical issue. So we opened the door. He'd gone. He'd gone through. There was a. There was. He, he bounced on he, me. He Come bounced, on. He, no, he, he'd taken the suit off. <laughs> got gone through the window in the toilet. Escaped and, and cleared off. So we were left there with the suit on the floor in the toilet. Uh, we we're like three hours away from this shoot, and no suit performer. So. Yours truly here had to get in the suit and play the play the alien. Do we have that footage anywhere? Let me. Yeah, I'll try to find that for you. Please yeah. send me that. Footage. Yeah. You, no, you're never going to see it. <laughs> yes, I will. Yeah, Todd, yeah. let's talk later. All but right. the funny thing is, is I'm only about five six, and this guy was like six four. <laughs> so they had to like dutch the shots to basically like. I think in the in the original commercial, the plan was was that this guy you could see him in like a, you know a full bodied creature suit, but in the final commercial, it's just like the head and the hands. Because I, I didn't fit the suit whatsoever. Right. So I looked like a sort of a, a little old man in this kind of giant oversized suit. Um, but yeah, that was not a way that was not a way to sort of like bridge yourself into into playing a creature, you know? And but. that's how Martin became SAG. Oh, is that is that, <laughs> yeah. is that how it happened? Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. I, I had but. a very different I went in by design. I wanted to play creatures. Show and, off. And yeah. Yeah. But it, it's true though, because there's so many people can't handle being in these suits mm -hmm. that you really have to have a certain level of uh, patience or mental. A lot of things. I patience, think it's mental. mental. You got to yeah. go because well, even when you did the the face cast on me, I'll throw up a little GoPro footage of it. Like you were very like, "Are you okay? Is everything all right? Can you hear me? Is it, you know?" And you explained how it gets warm. Like you walked me through it. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy's really taking care of me. I I don't know why he's. He doesn't. He doesn't normally freak out on you. I, I normally walk out the, the door and <laughs> yeah. come back and, after yeah, lunch. Yeah, but, I I I, he was drawing things I, on my... It's because you were here with <laughs> Matt. I was giving you <laughs> yeah. special attention. Thank you. Right. Yeah. That was very kind of you. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, those suits are really hard to wear. Those makeups are hard. You got the lenses, the teeth. Um, and it's hard for people to do it, and a lot of people freak out. So I got into it years ago when a guy named Brian Steele, who mm. is a major, major suit performer... Um, had a, com a company called Creature Boy. Mm -hmm. And there was like 15 people in the company. I was one of them. Doug Jones was one of them. Uh, and we were kind of a specialist in wearing creature suits and body movement and all that kind of stuff. And I got to play a bunch of werewolves and a bunch of characters on Charmed. And I actually made a special deal with the producers of Charmed because they wanted all these you know, like full body creatures and all this stuff and they didn't have the time or the money. So I offered myself up because we could reuse my body cast, my head cast, my teeth cast, and all that stuff. So I, I came up with a niche of why you had to use me whether you wanted me or not. That's exactly Are there right. other guys like you in Hollywood that can do both? Uh, there's a few people yeah. um, that, that are... That are creature performers and also can do and effects behind the scenes? There's a few of them. Are there? Okay. There's a few of them. And, and there's a lot of people who have played a monster here and there. Um, 
But uh, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. And a lot of actors, actually for a while on Charmed, they actually had me work when I wasn't playing a creature, if they knew it was going to be an actor, they'd have me work with the actor and kind of, you know, just kind of help them through the process with the makeup if they were, you know, having trouble or whatever. That's a big thing with playing a creature too. Like I don't, I think often you got to think it's the performance. I mean, there's also, there's a process of getting into the thing, right? The suit and there's the psychology of not freaking out and getting claustrophobia, but it's also like understanding the performance of a creature and and the sort of um, getting into the mind of what that that character may be. I think a lot of actors kind of struggle with that a little bit. Creature effects people are nerds, right? So like for the most part, you know, they kind of know what they're building. They understand that creature. And you know, when you build things, I'm sure it's the same for you. You kind of act it out a little bit as you build oh, something. Yeah, you know, so by the time the thing's finished, you got you got it in your head as as to what this thing is. Right. You know. Um, so it's a bit, sometimes you do have to, with certain actors, you've got to coach them into it. In fact, sometimes the directors ask you to do it. They ask you to, you know, help, you know, the individual find that that character. I mean, it seems like years ago they used to do that more. I mean, maybe, yeah, not, they, maybe not so much now. They but. focused on that a lot more when they had a lot more practical creatures before right. they were doing a lot of the digital stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's also, too, I mean, you know, what would end up happening all the time, whether I was putting someone into makeup or if I was in the makeup, a lot of times they put you in the makeup first thing in the morning and then you sit there and wait through lunch, through the day, and then they get to you at the very end of the day. So you've been sitting there right. or you're you're maintaining right. someone. So, And then you're expected to not only jump up and perform, but you've got to do it well. You've got to have a certain level of acting through the suit that actually gives mm-hmm. a performance. Otherwise, it's just a big rubber thing jumping right. around. Yeah. So it's it's not easy in a lot of respects. And a lot of people, I can see why a lot of people wouldn't want to do it. It seems easy on the surface. It's the weirdest thing. I mean, even, I mean, a few times I've done it, it seems easy, but it really isn't. Puppeteering too. I mean, that's, that's a very difficult thing too. I mean, when you're like this, you know, with your hand up for, you know, 10 hours a day, well, sometimes a little longer than that. The guys that did these Muppets, I mean, I'm, I'm convinced that they were not able to feel their arms from the elbow down for probably 80% of their career. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Now you originally came to LA, if I remember correctly, to work, you wanted to work with Jim Henson. Yeah, I was a huge Jim, right? Jim Henson fan. Nerd. Uh, I, uber nerd. Um, and I actually was getting prepped to move down here. Um, Matt and Steve had already moved down here and were opening doors for me. And they were going to, then they opened the door for me to go uh, meet with a guy named Kirk Thatcher, who mm. does a lot of stuff with the Henson group. Kirk's awesome. Kirk, he's awesome. And he, um, and then two weeks before I was moving down here, Jim Henson died. And I just lost my shit. I was like, you got to be kidding. And uh, I came down here anyway, and I ended up meeting, going to the to the studio and meeting with Kurt and seeing everything. And I, I don't know, I just kind of felt weird that he wasn't still there. And I took a job somewhere else, um, which I had longevity at that job for, for a decade. So I made a good call. But um, the stuff that Henson's does is amazing. Those guys are really, really talented. And Jim Henson and Frank Oz uh, really took puppeteering to a level that really hadn't been done to that point. They made it very personal and yeah. and and real. Made it legitimate, actually. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, puppeteering has kind of has kind of disappeared a bit because of CG characters and all that. But it's coming know. back though. I mean, no, like no, the, the Dark Crystal, you know, hundred percent. Even Star Wars. I mean, they've gone back to tr- traditional ways. Cause, again, yeah, because I know. grew up Labyrinth. Yeah, uh, you know, Dark Absolutely. Crystal. Like yeah. oh, those are those were yeah. the movies that I. You know what? There was a lesson learned with digital Yoda because. The real Yoda was so simple, mm-hmm, but right. it lived. 
and digital Yoda, everyone went like, you know, and then all of a sudden, and the reality is, is when, you know, practical effects all through the eighties and the early nineties was the rock star. Everyone loved makeup effects and creatures and puppets. And then when digital came in and I remember the day it was, we went and saw Jurassic park and that was a changing point. And when that happened and everybody got all excited about digital, no one cared about the practical effects guys anymore. And everyone kind of took a back seat to digital, but then digital maxed out and got to the point where they were making movies that were digital heavy, but they didn't care about story or anything that is a real part of making a movie. Right. It just became visual. Yeah, spectacle. Became... But we maxed out. I think we're now, like Martin was saying, we're on the other side of that now because that's already had its time. And now people are like, what's next? And practical stuff, practical elements back in film is what's cool now. And, right. and you're right. It was Star Wars doing all those practical characters when I saw the shift of everybody and directors going, no, 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 I don't want to go digital. We want to go practical. We want to go old school. Yeah, it was The Force Awakens. That's, yeah. uh, it felt like there was there was such a buzz about the fact it had gone back to, or, or you know, J.J. Abrams, he wanted to go back to sort of practical effects. I mean, that was, that was, it was, it was exciting, you know, for a lot of people in the community. Yeah. It looked a hell of a lot better. Also, yeah, no, I mean, did. even, the, even yeah, the Mandalorian yeah, yeah. now, they've, yeah, they've reworked the whole, the yep. whole background with the LCD panels and the whole grid, but they still bringing back, it's like they've pulled the best of one elements absolutely whilst yeah, retaining yeah. the other. That's and exactly right. That, that to me is the best looking yeah. thing so far. Yeah. Both Martin and I worked on the passion of the Christ and it was a great learning experience because we had the company that was doing both the visual effects and the practical effects and we got to combine it all. And the thing is, is there is a perfect marriage of practical and digital. If you understand how to utilize the practical as the base and then build off of that where needed for the digital elements. Now, am I, am I right? When back to the passion of the Christ, I think I've heard you tell the story, but you actually apply, you, you did a visual pass and it didn't look as good when it was just visual. So you actually suggested let's do it practical and we'll cover it up with the visual and then remove it to reveal the practical so or something like that. Right? Yeah, there was a team of people that were from the practical side and from the digital side. And on the digital side, there was a guy named Ted Ray and Josh Logan, and they were kind of heading up everything digital. And then it was myself and a couple other people working on the practical side to kind of combine all this stuff. Right. And uh, the digital, we were talking about the wounds and how a with slash would happen, right. a flogging. And the digital guy's like, you know, we can do it digitally. It'll look great. And we saw some of it, and it just looked like it was floating on him. It wasn't perfect. It didn't look 100% real. So we all sat down and, and we said, why don't we try uh, doing actual wounds and then covering it with digital skin because the skin won't be as easy to track that it's not you know, there, it'll be much more easy to sell. And then we just it, yeah. take the digital skin off and then see the movement and the glisten and so all the, the realism. Is there, he swings the fake flog that's not really there. And then you remove the digital cover up to reveal a wound. Correct. And that worked so much better, but it was a comp, you know, it, it was a process of elimination by going through and seeing what didn't work. And then just thinking as a team of digital and practical guys as to how can we combine the stuff to make it work. And you had to solve that in real time. It wasn't like, you know, like well, we had a, I mean, we worked with Mel, we did uh, a lot of the post-production with him also. So this was all during post-production okay. at that point. Okay. Yeah. It's a great experience though. Cause it really, for me as a filmmaker moving forward, I got so much experience out of that, that I know how to combine that stuff for my, for our own in-house projects. Right. And then both Martin and I get pulled in all the time to interact with the digital departments on feature films when we're doing makeup effects. So uh, uh, that's more the case. It's more than ever now. I, I think directors are, are looking... I mean, even actually on, on Texas, I can say that, you know, I had to work really uh, closely with, with the, the, the 
this guy Chris Ritvo, who's a really super talented uh, uh, CG guy. But him and me, on, on a lot of occasions, had to work together to come up with practical solutions to, to things. And I think directors are sort of expecting that sort of marriage now. Um, I'd say the last couple of jobs in particular, you know, we've been sort of like flung with the CG people to sort of figure out these sequences. It's not like a written down thing. It's not like we're expected to do it, but we are expected to do it now. So I think, you know, I would say this too, actually. The interesting thing with uh, a lot of uh, this renaissance that makeup effects and creature effects is going through is great. But there's a couple of downsides to it. One of them is, is like there's a, there was a gap there between like Jurassic Park and Star Wars where there was a generation of film directors coming up that just don't know how to deal with makeup effects, right? So now a lot of these younger directors, and I won't mention names, but like a lot of them, they <laughs> tell, tell, tell us after. Oh, I'll, t- I'll tell you. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> a lot of them, like they love the practical and the tactile aspect of makeup effects, but they don't know how to shoot makeup effects. Because, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, like part of being from that school of director, you had to understand how to put an effect sequence together. You know, I mean, people like John Landis or, you know, George Lucas, I mean, Steven Spielberg, they understood, I mean, particularly John Landis, I mean, they totally understood makeup effects, right? You know, so that's when you get things like American Werewolf in London because it's a perfect marriage between practical and director. But this generation that had come up don't really understand how to do makeup effects. So they kind of look to you to, to sort of figure it out which is a weird position to be put under because really it's not my vision of that film. It's right. their vision. So a lot of you expect to be told by them how to, how to lay this thing out, you know, the sequence out, but they don't know. Uh, no. And that could be problematic at times. I actually, right? when I saw that this was being becoming a major thing across the board, because there was that time frame when, yeah, you had so many directors come in that would be afraid of practical effects. Right. They didn't understand I, it. So I use that to my advantage when I started getting when i started directing i used that to my advantage and i would come in as a second unit director and shoot a lot of the practical effects so they didn't have to worry about it and i saw that niche and i'm like okay great let me let my company make the effects let me come on and direct those scenes for you that you don't feel comfortable and that was a great way to get the ball rolling for me because i saw that 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 issue that was ongoing yeah can you tell with what what i don't know what you're allowed to share but can you give us a practical effect story from set either it went well or something happened and you had to pivot or uh you've told me several stories off camera i don't know if you can share any of those but um well, something memorable this is i mean I've, I've posted this for me personally when we were working on the passion of the christ we did a makeup test uh for the judas demon and it was just a real quick quick flash of judas uh seeing something in the shadows that scares him <clears throat> originally Mel said he wanted a, the Judas character to look very diseased and leopard like leper like. And we did a makeup test on uh, one of our guys in the shop and shot it and Mel didn't like it. And I just remember getting somebody knocking on my office door and going, Hey, Mel wants to talk to you. He's not happy. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and I went into his office and he goes, I'm, I'm not happy with this. And I'm like, it's what you wanted. Right. And he goes, yeah, but it, now that I see it, it's not right. And I go, well, what, what would you like it to be? And there's all these uh, designs on the wall behind him that we had done. And he pointed to this one thing that was in a shadow. You could barely see it. And he handed it to me and said, go make this. And I went, oh, okay. And he goes, before I leave, I want to see a sculpture. And I'm like, holy shit. So I just sculpted as fast as I could. I just got a shape there to to see if he liked it. And then he approved it. Uh, I finished sculpting it. We molded it. And a couple days later, I'm playing the character 
uh, for Mel, but it was a fast turnaround. I mean, a couple of days, I didn't get like weeks to do this. Right. And, it, and it was, you know, the makeup that we had done before was actually good. It just, he wanted a very different direction once he saw it, but that's the shift of design. A lot of times they think they want something and then they'll, you'll, you'll present it to them. They'll go, Hmm, something else maybe. It's very difficult getting inside, inside of the director's head. Sometimes it, it's, it, that's the, like I said earlier, it's the most exciting part of the process. But in a weird way, it's the most frustrating. Well, especially it sounds like if they don't know how to communicate and they're not sure. I'm oh. assuming you prefer solid direction. Like, I don't like any of this. I definitely want it in this direction. You think, but I don't. I actually no. prefer it when they don't know because you, if, if, if you're loving and you're careful with it, you can sort of shepherd them into a better place. I mean, you know, it's the weirdest thing with, with when, you've, when you write, if you write a script or you've got a film in your head, like directors are worried about all the important stuff, right? I mean, obviously performance you know, story. I mean, all the things that really count. Creature effects, you know, it depends how important the creature is, for instance, or how important the makeup is. But you've got to like, you've got to try to sort of, sometimes you've got to protect the clients from themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. So they might be coming up with an idea that's so trite and terrible and you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, if you do this, like the community is going to roast you alive. Right. So it's better, you've got to sometimes know how to move them out of that idea and into a better one. Right. Without so, hurting their ego or bruising relationships. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. I would, I've learned more now, but I think 50% of this job is psychology, right? You know, because I mean, you can show all the pretty drawings, all the pretty sculptures, all the nice brush designs. It's, it can all look great. But if it doesn't work in the context of the story, it's a waste of time. So you've really got to break that down and you've really got to like, see for me, and I'm sure that's the same for you too, like, Reading the script is, is critical. Years and years ago, right, you would never get the script. You get like a part of the script that's maybe relevant to, to the makeup or the creature or the puppet. Mm -hmm. um, but you need, it doesn't help, right? You need to read the whole story to understand what this, this character is. And ultimately, that's what you're doing, right, is you're building a character. So I think for me to read the script, mull it over, and then come up with designs is a way faster process. And generally speaking, you're going to have a better result presenting a design to a client than just sort of like getting one page from the script. I mean, there are certain movies I've worked on where you just get one page, you know, and it's very difficult because, you know, then that's when you end up doing 3,000 designs. I mean, The Mask 2, that was a perfect example of like a film that Todd and myself had worked on. And I remember, I don't think I even got a script Wait, for that. There was a Mask 2? Son of the Mask, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, there wasn't. <laughs> now, now. No, just kidding, I? just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, that was, uh, there was a, oh my God, I, the amount of designs that we did for that. That was crazy. Oh my God, thousands. Yeah. Thousands. But See, I, that to me, as from a writer's side, tells me they don't actually know really what they want. Right. And, I'm a, and I can say that, you don't have to agree with me, but... When somebody has like even getting the whole script, yeah, you you it's not just I made something cool. I know why I put that thing in there correct. because it connects right. to page seventeen, which yep. pays off on page one hundred and eleven. Absolutely correct. That's true. Absolutely and then and correct. also too, you yep. got to remember sometimes you're dealing with a committee of people, not yeah. one. Yeah. So it becomes a too many chefs in the kitchen. And Ooh, yeah. Well, and that that got way more apparent as because back in the seventies and the eighties, a lot of times the project was driven driven by the director writer or you know, there was a voice and a vision from one person mm -hmm. um, as studios became more and more involved all through the 90s and yeah, 2000s. It corporate. It's oh, a yeah. much more corporate yeah, situation, yeah. so there's a lot of people that have to sign off on stuff, so you're, sometimes the vision can get a little blurry. 
Well, there's demographic, right? That's a word I right. never used to hear years ago. Like, you know, you have to, you know, they isolate the demographic that the film's aimed at. And you've got to, you've got to please them, right? Fit that pocket. And that's, that's fine. I mean, that's modern filmmaking. But it makes the design process way more complicated than it should be. Because for me, like, there should be a certain amount of, like, um, you know, you're free-forming, right? You should sort of, like, find your way there slowly. But there are certain key... Well, and I'm particularly talking with larger studio projects. You know that there's certain things you have to, or, or, demo, or uh, criteria that you have to have to hit. You know, that's a little more complicated, and you can't always like, you can't always come up with magic if you've got rules and regulations, right? I mean, the independent stuff that we've done. I mean, we did this project here a couple of years ago called Daniel Isn't Real, and we, the director and the production company on that, were some of the easiest and nicest people I, I've ever had the experience you know, working with, they were just open to everything. They listened, uh, the director, Adam, I mean, he was uh, super um, open to suggestion, but we came up with some stuff for that. It's not a, a, a super huge movie, but uh, the stuff that we did on that, I'm super proud of because there's some pretty left brain stuff on that. And uh, we come up with stuff like people crawling into each other's bodies and there's some pretty mad body horror in that film. And I, anyone who's listening to this, check out Daniel Isn't Real. It's a great <laughs> film. It, it's there's some mad stuff in that. People love that movie. They that do. That movie really yeah. had some some new design elements and things that people really attracted to. Yeah, we 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 tried to really push the envelope on that, and for the time yeah. and the budget we had, and uh, I'm, I'm really proud of that film. You know, so, so because I, but because it wasn't independent, yeah. they allowed yeah. the uh, the More creative designs process. to be yeah, pushed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, exactly. that would be. Uh, am I right in saying this in a simple way? The two takeaways from what you just said, it's kind of more exciting to discover a choice rather than decide it right up front. Yeah, absolutely. And the yep. collaboration is actually what makes it better. Not, not, I mean, anybody can, how do I say that? Um, just here's the design, go make it. I don't need to hear anything from you. Then you're just, that, that sucks. you're just assembly worker versus yep. like, why are you hiring me? That's if you don't want to like collaborate together. I couldn't agree more. You've absolutely hit the nail on the head right. there. I mean, cause again, it, every artist is different, right? I mean, you know, I mean, here, we, I think we like to be part of that collaborative process, right? Mm. There's nothing wrong with studio pictures, or I have to say that, obviously. If so I will, we can if, all be If I ever want to work on a Absolutely. studio picture love again. studio <laughs> but, pictures. But, but modern filmmaking has changed. I mean, it, it, we all know it. I mean, it, the way, you know, Jaws was made or Close Encounters is not the way, you know, Star Wars is made. Right. It's just different. So, you know, I, I totally understand why there are certain things you have to do. You know, whether it's for marketing reasons or whether it's just to appeal to people under the age of 12. But you're not going to get anything, ma you know, exciting or magical out of that. You're just not. That's why I think independent, and for me personally, you know, independent film is everything. There's still plenty of great films being made out there and there's still plenty of mad things that are being built and done. But you've got to you've got to like research it now. You've got to find these movies because I don't know about like you guys. It, it's <laughs> when I go into Netflix or Hulu, I'm just there's so much out there now. Right, you know that it's it's almost impossible. I don't even know what's being made anymore. There's right. movies um, with major stars that you've never heard of. Yeah, totally. It's so weird. You're like, where did this come from? Because normally you would hear about movies being made and things happening, right. but there's so many of them, so many different streaming places that have these movies that never saw the theaters and are just there. It's yeah. crazy. Well, and my my two cents on that is just like as music exploded with iTunes and digital platforms and internet. When you, when anybody can make something basically from their home computer, the amount of junk that's oh, yeah. out there goes up. Oh, yeah, However, absolutely. I think the good news in that is 
you're going to find one or two of those gems that uh, never would have made it absolutely. that make it through. There's and a few I'm willing diamonds to put up with the, the trash rough. to yeah. find the diamond that's in the rough. exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. That's my... It's me trying to be positive. No, no, it's actually a very good point you've made, though. It's like the old days when you go into a record shop, you know, and you're looking for that, that you know, because, you, you, again, the only way to find out things was to listen to it and try it out. You know, right. I remember <laughs> back in the 80s going, you know, if you picked, I don't know how it was in the States here, but, like, you didn't have, like, you didn't have, like, sample downloads. or I mean, things like YouTube, you can check stuff out before it's out. You had to stuff the record yeah. in your pants and steal, oh, wait, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. You had to buy the That's record. I'm doing. so confused. That's he said the 80s. What are those? The, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he also said a record. I've never heard of you that. You got to remember, dude, they're like 12. <laughs> hey. So. Hey. Oh, yeah. Hey, We're actually not as young as you think we are. <laughs> but I like, can't actually grow That's this. a good beard for 12, bro. <laughs> no, he yeah. put this on before. <laughs> that's so right. That's yeah. right. Hours of handling. But So, yeah, I mean, like, it's 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 uh, it's different now. Like, you can't, you have to, like, sit through things to sort of find out whether they're good or bad. I mean, I, I feel a bit embarrassed in a weird way because, like, I feel like I had my finger on the pulse with, with movies that were coming up, especially, and I'm talking specifically independent here. But but it's you you there's no way to go to get reviews. I mean maybe there is. I'm not paying attention, so maybe I'm not the best person to give uh, advice about that. But I, I think that like, I, a lot of people recommend films to me that I've never heard of. I mean, like Todd said, they've got A-list actors in them, you know, amazing effects, amazing you know designs and stuff. But you, I, I've got no way of finding out where to find those films. Right. You it's, know, it's funny because I just had this conversation with my daughter a couple of days ago, and I was trying to explain to her that back in the '80s when a movie came out, it was a big deal. It, it meant was, something. Yeah, yeah. Simply because there wasn't 8 million other distractions. Right now, for a movie to come out, a, you know, a kid is like, do I want to watch a movie? Do I want to play a video game? Do I want to go online? Do I want to do YouTube? Do I want to... I mean, there's so many options that movies just don't have the power that they did when we grew up watching them. And unfortunately, there's so much stuff. It's really hard. And as a filmmaker, I can tell you when I tried to put our last film out there, the terror of Hallow's Eve to get people to notice it, you have to do so much footwork of promotions and possible merchandising and things to get out there for anyone to even know you exist. You yeah, know, how so. do you get above the fray? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff out there now. I think it can still be done with story. Well, that's, that's the start, isn't it? I think so. That's the that's your solid base starting point. If the story it is should be, it should be. It should, it's well, not always. Well, not that, that that will be but it should big be. explosions. Major that, that, that'll, explosions. That'll get your attention real quick. It, you know, actually, the story doesn't matter as long as there's a big explosion at the end. <laughs> okay. Are there any jobs? That's Ed Wood, by the way. So. Are there any jobs that you guys have turned down? Um, from like a major like, or re regretted not taking. That end up becoming a, a franchise per se, or something along those lines. I do remember years ago. I don't know if you were in the mix yet, but we did a, a makeup test um, for this weird new movie they were making called The Matrix. Oh my gosh! And we didn't get the job. I and made a few bucks. Uh, I didn't know you. Yeah, you did work on that. I didn't. Oh, I oh. didn't. No, that's what I'm saying. We did it. We did a makeup test. And we did it. We created this whole like tank thing and put one of our guys and did this whole thing. And is this for the sequence where he's he wakes up? Yeah, got it. Yeah, and um, so now when you say you did this, you did this on your own dime to present to them as a as exactly. like a job. Exactly. Okay. And that's what you do a lot of times. Oh yeah. A lot of times yeah. you have to go out of your way with no pay to create a visual to put in front of them to catch their attention to get the job. 
which they could still turn you down for. And they did. Yeah, they did. I mean, there's and probably like did. a dozen like effects companies at any one time pitching for the same job, you know. I mean, mm. once a show gets announced, you know, I mean, most studios are trying to, especially if it's, a, if it's a character that's established or it's a character that people know. Right. You know, uh, people are going to try to get that job. So, yeah, a lot of companies will often go up against each other to, right. to you know. And it used to be that when you do the these job. these designs and development for them to get the job, they would pay you to do that. But then when yeah, it got really uh, competitive, that went out the door and then you know even to this day to get jobs we do designs and put them in front of them before we even have the jobs to lock them in and make sure they understand what we right. can provide right right now um is it okay if i can we mention halloween wars on this yeah oh so you were on halloween wars is that true uh, uh on the food network no on, it's not uh, true. on um and i would like to hear a little bit about that if that's okay um you know it's was, it was funny because i remember watching halloween wars uh, before they called me and um i was watching the guy in the middle chair where they were going to put me and i was like he, i think he was an effects guy and i was like well, why you know he, he seems <laughs> it didn't it didn't seem like you know there was a lot a lot of energy there and and when i got on set uh and they were only going to have me for the first for season seven and when i got on set um i saw them wrapping the host uh jonathan bennett in toilet paper to make him look like a mummy for a skit. And I was like, guys, guys. And I had a little mic. I'm like, was guys. It, what kind of, was it double ply? <laughs> Triple. <laughs> oh, okay. Triple. All right. That was their mistake. I felt bad for him. I'm like, guys, if you need some production value with things, let me bring some puppets and some makeups and just give you guys some fun stuff if you're going to be doing all these skits. And they're like, would you be willing to do that? I'm like, yeah. So I started putting myself in makeups and brought puppets and just a bunch of fun, stupid stuff. And, um, and that was season seven. And then they called me for season eight and said, hey, uh, would you like to come back and do the same thing? Um, their numbers went up quite a bit and uh, they actually found really found the show at that point. Like they figured out the the pacing of the editing and the music and everything. And then we just brought some, some additional production value to the board. And it, it, was it just took them, it just took them seven seasons. <clears throat> and then you rode that all the way through, right? Yeah. Um, I was on season seven, eight, nine, and 10. And uh, they are now <clears throat> on uh, discovery plus uh, streaming. So you can actually go see all, all seasons and all episodes. Now, I know you guys are constantly working on like a million things here as far as effects, but you recently wrote something that you're super excited about that you're going to try to get a cast together. Are we allowed to talk about that? I think we are. Yeah. I can yeah. Do um, yeah, I want to you... know like what you're, what you're doing now. <coughs> what's, what's the latest? Are there any makeup effects in it? There are. Yes, no, we're going to work. I'm going to talk to you later. Then. Yeah, no, yeah. You, you <laughs> no, you've already done the design, so you, 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 you know. You've, um, been, you've been working on this for years. You, you didn't just didn't know. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> you, were pitch, you were actually pitching to Todd. You just didn't know. You cheeky bugger. <laughs> That's fine. Um, no, we, um, we did a, an in-house project a few years ago that did really well that, uh, that I wrote and directed and we produced in-house. Um, called the Terror of Hallow's Eve, and we got John Carpenter music in it. We got Doug Jones playing stuff. It did it did very well. It won a bunch of awards. Kind of set us up for doing it again. So, uh, right when COVID hit and everything got shut down, I started developing this rock and roll comedy, and uh, actually put a real band together of of some rock stars and people that are really really good and actors. And you played the drums. And I and you actually I cast the myself drums. as the drummer because I just wanted to play drums again. There you go. So on top of all the other things that you do that are uh, you know very creative, you also also do music. I beat the hell out of, of drums, yes. Um, but anyway, so we put the project together. <clears throat> we did uh, we put together a script. Uh, did seven revisions of the script to make it just really tight. And we are currently out. Uh, pitching it to different studios and I just got some great news that I was able to 
uh, attach the band Foreigner. To Woo! Them. Yeah, I mean that's kind of kind of rare to be able to get someone like that attached when you don't actually have a deal in place. So they uh, they were very cool. So um, we are taking meetings, and I'm pushing pushing to get that off the ground. Uh, Martin is in the back. Uh, doing sculptures for a number of different projects that we are pitching for. And, and taking naps. <laughs> That's why the door is always closed. Oh, no, no, I'm not taking naps. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we'll talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Martin, how long do I have to be here in this building before you allow me to see behind that door one time for 30 seconds. I've Dude, got, I've got I can't even go in that room. I've got to shovel all the crap out of the way first. Well, that's bet. because you make him work on stuff and you don't tell him what it's for. Have you I seen hoarders? <laughs> Seriously, I have money. Oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to say something though right now. And this is, and I'm plugging this, uh, not only for the company, but because it's actually real. There's a lot of grape sculptors in this industry and they all kind of have their own niche. But one thing I'm going to brag about Martin um martin is doing some sculpture design of things that i've never seen before and it's not just in design it's in technique where you can actually see inside of the sculpture and there's sculptures within the sculptures i'm not sure how the hell he does it but i've never seen anything like that before and martin also is a sculptor is amazing because he can do everything from one design look to another design look where a lot of sculptors are kind of stuck in their own niche um so for us as a company we're very very lucky uh, to to have Martin on board and and creating this stuff. Oh um, bless! It's true. I he mean, said, to, 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 he, he, he said like, there's I only s- a hand. You weren't in the room, but when you weren't here, he's like him and Matt and maybe one other person are the top sculptors oh, bless I've his ever heart. seen. He, that's very yeah. sweet. He's like he's my my manager and everyone here uh, is now cheery eyed. Yep, ten <laughs> percent. Sorry, I didn't want to bring it down. I just uh, that's a very nice thing to say. I appreciate it. Cool. Yeah. Now, can we see inside of that room, please? No, no. Ah, you bastard. <laughs> This is this is my Sorry. my theory on why we can't go in. You go through all the crap he has in there, and there's a table with a pole. And he just, <laughs> he's it's back to his roots. Let the yeah. dancing continue. I have got a big pair of white heels that I have worn. Oh, that's, that's a whole, right. That's a whole other story. But you know what's funny with that with that that room? There's other rooms too that you haven't seen. But like the, the sad thing is, is that like even right now, there's probably like I would say ten projects that we're helping to develop and put together, but. You just can't show the sculptures to anybody. It's the pro- half the problem is is like we're living in the age of the phone camera, right? right. People don't mean it, but your backs. It's happened, you know, on like certain occasions where people are like, oh, that's so cool, and they'll take a picture, and the next thing you know, it's on Facebook or right. Instagram, and then you're in trouble. Oh yeah, so yeah. I'm not going to lie. I, I've become somewhat paranoid over the years. I mean, you know, touch wood, nothing has ever happened, but. If I've caught someone taking a picture, it's like you got to tell them how you, you got to delete that. Like, I can't. Oh, I'll, I'll leave my phone here. I, look, I'll strip down. Like, no cameras on. You'll strip down. If Not you, that yeah. way. Not even like, okay, well, if it takes. If whatever. You need, it if takes. you need a job in dancing, yeah. let me know. Yeah, I, uh, I can actually, dance. Yeah. I, I can dance. If That's you notice, the uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre display that we have up front mm-hmm. has no leather face in front of it. In my office, we have a really cool bronzed head. Uh, of Leatherface that I bring out and show clients when they come in, but just because of what Martin's saying, I can't leave it out because someone's going to take a quick right, photo. It's going to go online, and I'm going to get. Do we sued. know when that movie's coming out? We've been told October. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think. Maybe. Yeah. I'm it not was gonna... earlier, but they pushed because of COVID, right? No. Uh, no, I think. Are, I d- they, are they trying to get a wide release, or is this going to be like a streaming thing? No, no, no it's it's theatrical. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, that, no, I, 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 I can say this much: the film is big. Okay, it, it looks big. It's big. It's not like this tight sort of like indie horror film. No, no, it's, no, it's, no, 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 no. It's it's yeah, it's 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 a rich 
big, big movie, movie. Yeah, and that the approach to it is it, i mean i'm i'm not gonna lie i'm super excited i mean i'm a, I'm a nerd for that character anyway right you know because out those big horror icons everyone's got their favorite i know for todd it's michael myers you know for me it was always pinhead or, or leatherface so to get the opportunity to address that character is super huge but the whole feel of this movie is just different it's just exciting and it's going to be a real uh, uh it's going to be a fresh departure from from the original. I, I, but the fans are still going to like it, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's still going to hit some beats that, that are familiar. I'm sure Legendary and Bad Ombre, who are the production companies that created it, I know that they want to do a theatrical release with it because it's that oh, movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, if they, right. end up, if they end up pushing it because the theaters are not ready yet, that would probably be a smart move because it's not a movie you want to see on TV. Yeah. No, no. They get this, they're going to get this film right. There's no question yeah. that they're, 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 they're crafting this. and yeah, it's I'm, exciting. Yeah, it's it, very it, exciting. It, the little bits that I have seen of it, I, well, I can't say, but <laughs> no, it's, it's, ex it's exciting. Yeah. Well, what you just said, I one last question I would love if you, if you can recall quickly. I know you said, what, what's the hardest effects, either individual effect you've done or overall movie? I know you've told me that was White Chicks. Or one of the most difficult white chicks. We both worked on white chicks. That one, that one yeah, was, was just tough. well. First of all, no one in town wanted that because they thought it was a fail from the get go. So we took it on, knowing that people had turned it away um, because they didn't want to look bad because it wasn't so hard to pull off. And the reality is, and that was an illusion industries. That was an, a company where both Martin and I were were hired artists. Sure, but you still did we, no no we work. yes absolutely we both did. And at that point. You know, um, I think that uh, it didn't really match. The makeup didn't match the girls in the movie because it was supposed to look just like them. That was borderline impossible because we had to find actors uh, to play those girls and then base the makeups off of their face shape and their look and then put those on to the Wayans brothers. So we had all kinds of weird restrictions. Um, it didn't really match them, but I will say the finished makeups for the film fit the tone of the movie and the guys gave it such a great performance that yeah. knowing that it wasn't real. Yeah. <laughs> the characters worked because yeah, the guys right. brought so much right. to the makeup that the characters actually worked and you got through the movie and you enjoyed it. So it was, but it was tough though because those guys had lenses, teeth, full face makeups, wigs, full body makeup, airbrushed every day. How, a, how much time is that from, from walking into, all right, first team flying in ready to film. Six hours, eight hours. Man, uh, I was on set for that. I, I, to be honest with you, neither of us were on set for that. We we were involved with the makeup tests, and got it, got it. so the makeup tests you can't really gauge. But I do remember hearing that uh, they were taking about four and a half hours. Yeah, I think it was even longer than that. But no, they got it down to four and a half yeah. hours. But it was a lot. And then and then once they realized that, they were like, oh, "Put more wardrobe on them." Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. No, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it was Blade Two. I think. I mean, okay. that wasn't with the company. That was for another company. But, but that everything in that film was just reinventing the wheel. Blade 2 was Guillermo del Toro, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's the is that the one the with Reapers. the guy that, that opens up and he feeds on vampires? That's right. right? The yeah. jaw opens up? That's right, yeah. I mean, that was a tour de force for makeup effects. And it, I mean, Guillermo's sense of, like, finish is, is second to none. I mean, you know, everything's just finished off to such a high degree. And you know his 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 expectation is is high, you know, and that's good, you know. It pushes you to 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 think harder and and, and come up with new ways of doing things. But the, I think there wasn't a single makeup effect in that film that just really wasn't um, pushing things to its limit. 
you know, and there was there was time to figure things out. There was no makeup effect that was straightforward in that film. Nothing. Everything was just very, very. Uh, either it was just something that hadn't really been seen before, or the level of quality had to be as high as you could get it. You know, right. I mean, Guillermo on that film at that time was just trying to raise the bar as high as he could. You know. I mean, when he did Blade Two, he how many films had he, had he, he done? He Mimic. Um, he like done three or four. Uh, yeah, I th- three? Yes, yeah, and yeah. I'd, I'd seen those. I just, yeah. you know, just coming up through high school, not thinking about film yet, I just didn't put those two together. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Later, yeah. I discovered yeah, If that, it wasn't James then, Cameron or Spielberg, I didn't really go back and be like, oh, who's the director that yeah. did <laughs> I mean, Blade 2? I was like, oh, it's Wesley Snipes. Like, like that's, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, like, because that time, Guillermo, like, you know, he was a huge, I mean, he started in makeup effects too, I believe. Like, I think that was his his sort of like, you know, his, his, his first passion. Is he a big practical Oh, huge! Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, people in our business love him because you know he's he's very supportive of the community. You yeah. know, he loves to 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 pull us in, and and he, I think also too, he's one of the small handful of directors that understands, like Todd was talking about earlier, the the bridge between practical and digital. digital. Yeah. And it, honestly, there's not a lot of them out there. Right. It's it, it's getting better, but but it takes a particular director to understand to know where we can't do something. But digital can pick. You up. have to be bilingual in a, in, a, in effects. Absolutely. To, to, I, you don't have to be, but I think if you are, it makes you it, way more efficient. Only, oh, yeah, only absolutely. if you want to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Uh, any any final questions? No, oh, man. I learned so much to... today. Dude, this is awesome. I mean, I'm going to get you both on I individually. Know Martin was British uh, and <laughs> if, if in a couple of weeks, yeah. I'd love to get you on individually and get some more. Maybe we can get a little more focused on. Oh if yeah, you're allowed to love to have you on. I could talk about this all day long, but we're already at like 90 minutes. Oh, so really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. It, goes it goes fast, fast. man. It goes by fast. Nice. Quick. Well, uh, Mr. Todd Tucker and Martin Assholes. There you go. Got it all figured out by myself. Thank you for being here today. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, um, guys. Just as the plane is taking off. All right, everybody. uh, (laughs) We will see you next week, and we are out.